The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of May is my friends over at Banner of Truth Trust. The Banner of Truth Trust is a Christian organization which publishes books, organizes conferences, and publishes a monthly magazine. Their objective is the promotion, advancement, and dissemination of better knowledge and understanding of the history and the doctrines of the true biblical Christian faith. They seek to inform, encourage, strengthen, and equip ordinary Christians and have a particular concern for ministers and pastors and those training for the ministry. While the banner is most well known for the promotion of the best Christian literature from the past and the present, men in the ministry should know about their minister's conference, one held in Pennsylvania at the end of May and the other near L.A. in the middle of October. The banner hosts simple conferences focused on the preaching of the word, prayer, fellowship, and of course, heavenly discounted Banner of Truth Trust books. Learn more about their books and conferences at thebanneroftruth.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. All right, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Uh, This is a bonus episode, and I am with a new friend of mine, Pat Daly, with the Banner of Truth Trust up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Well, he is. Anyways, Pat, how you doing up there? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's pretty great. So let me pray, and then I have uh, uh, several questions here for you, and it'll be a lot of lot of fun to just to talk with you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for Pat. I thank you for the opportunity to talk to him, and so grateful for the banner of truth and his work with them. And I'm just excited to talk to him about life and ministry and and just get to know him a little bit. And so just lead this discussion. I pray it'd be profitable, helpful. I pray ultimately it would honor you. And for all the listeners out there, I pray that you'd be encouraged and they would be challenged in, in the best sort of way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Pat. Well, for those who may not know you or may have not bumped into you at a conference or something like that, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and Maybe tell us about your family and tell us what you do at the Banner of Truth. Sure, happy to. Um, so yeah, my name is Pat Daly. I'm born and raised in uh, Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. So I, I used to have a Canadian accent. I'm told that it's going away, um, which is kind of stressful because <laughs> I like to sound Canadian, but usually when I'm back in Canada, people are telling me I'm sounding more and more American. But okay. your listeners can be the can be the judge of that. Um, my wife and I moved to the States uh, about nine years ago. I studied in seminary at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and I've been working at the Banner in Carlisle, PA, for the last seven years. So I was converted in university. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, um, but I really started reading the Bible uh, for myself uh, in the, my undergrad in the university, or as you guys like to say, in college. <laughs> there you um, go. See, i got to maintain some of these language differences or I will lose all of my you know my background right now Pat um, I did like, when you said about or about or something I, I did it, it came out Canadian it came okay. out I heard it I heard oh, it. good, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I count all these things as lost because I'm a Christian and uh, the Lord's wor- worked in my heart and that's really my identity is that I'm a born-again believer by God's grace uh, as I started to read the scriptures for myself in university I realized that I really didn't have a personal relationship with God and uh, the, the the language that I heard among some other Christians that I met about loving God 
I guess I had not thought about it in that way. I, I definitely respected God, and I had reverence for God, but a loving relationship, a trusting, faith-filled life, I, I didn't have anything like that. Mm. So the Lord brought me to an end of myself and showed me my need of a Savior, and I was I was I trusted in Him in university, and since then, uh, it's a whole you know, gift upon gift is all I can really say about my life that the Lord has opened every door and give me every gift and opportunity to learn and grow, and I don't deserve any of it. So mm-hmm. it's really amazing what the Lord's done. Uh, he met, introduced me to my wife and introduced me to Reformed theology not, not long after I was converted, and that kind of set me on uh, a new path to just a deeper understanding of the doctrines of grace and how the Lord is sovereign over all. Mm-hmm. And that that gave me a desire to study more, and so that's why I went to seminary, like I said earlier, and uh, by God's grace, ended up working at the Banner of Truth, which really is by no designs of my own. I, I didn't even know that this position was avail- was was possible, was re- <laughs> that it even existed. But now I find myself working for a wonderful God-honoring ministry, uh, trying to lead the U.S. office here in terms of uh, getting Banner books into the hands of pastors, seminarians, um, and people all across North America. I love that. It's so just hearing your testimony and Jesus saving you and loving Him and the grace of God. It's just uh, I love it. I love hearing about God saving and um, just your story. It's just that's very very cool. It is interesting. Now tell us how I am interested in how you ended up landing the job with the banner. I mean that's a pretty yeah. But there's not yeah. you know like job boards out there. Hey, come work for the Banner of Truth. Trust, yeah, you know. <laughs> I do get this question a lot because I think people are wondering, how, you know, how does one go about, doing, you know, attaining these <laughs> roles? Honestly, I, I didn't even know. Well, I knew about the banner. Uh, shortly after I was converted, my father-in-law, or father-in-law to be, uh, he found out that I was kind of hanging out with his daughter, and he wanted to know how serious I was about Christianity, and and he gave me a copy of Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Uh, which is in the Puritan paperback series, which is the greatest of all father-in-law moves, you know. Yeah, definitely. This guy's a legend. <laughs> um, and so that was my first introduction to the banner. Uh, and that was just a whole new world of, of like, deep thinking that I had, I had, you know, not run into before. But it was in seminary that I really started to get introduced to the ministry, and I went to a couple uh, ministers' conferences as a student because they've banner still to this day has a great program that allows seminary students to attend for free. Wonderful. Um, so there's, you know, each year we have about 60, maybe 50 to 60 students from a number of different, mostly reformed seminaries, but it doesn't have to be a reformed seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I come to know the ministry a bit through that kind of face to face, met some of the people. And then as I was graduating, I was, so I went to seminary, not to, not because I felt a call to ministry, but because I felt a call to serve the church one day, maybe as an elder. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I just wanted to study the scriptures more intensely so that I could better lead, lead my wife yeah. and my, and Lord willing, children one day. And it was, so as I was graduating from my uh, my master's degree there, which was a, a two-year MA in theology, I was planning to move back to Canada and find a business job. Okay. And it was about about a month or two before my graduation that I heard about this job avail- becoming available. The banner had let a number of their like, kind of closest supporters know about this, this manager's position. And so my father-in-law, who once again has played a big role in my sanctification, he, 
he contacted me saying, hey, this is a job available, you, you would love it. And then the president of the seminary there, Joy Piper, who's been going to the Banner Conferences for years and has spoken at dozens of conferences, he had heard about it too. And so they let me know, and I somehow went through a couple of interviews and convinced them to hire me, and wow. and, it's, and it's been awesome. So. That is that is so cool. I, of any publisher that that God has used in my life, the banner has been uh, the one that has had the deepest impact in my life. I, the first banner book I got was uh, part one of Spurgeon's um, biography, autobiography, autobiography. Yeah. and yeah. I remember I was on this construction job, I was managing a construction site, and I was just diving in, and my jaw was just wide open, like this is mm. amazing. And then from there, just got more and more banner books. 2012 is the year of Lloyd Jones, where God just turned my world upside down with, with Lloyd wow. Jones, and uh, and so I've been so so thankful, and I'm really excited. You you guys are gracious enough to partner with us actually this month, to do a giveaway with the Lloyd Jones Roman set, and just thrilled with that. So thank you for doing that. The little plug right there. Sure, no problem. But uh, for the listeners out there, you want to make sure and jump on the show notes and follow the giveaway links and sign up for that. But Okay, tell us a little bit, if you would, about the history of... Because I want my listeners to be exposed to the Banner of Truth. I want them to go uh-huh. on there and buy the books. I want them to, to dive in. I want them to be... You know, historians are the best futurists. I mean, that's just the, the way it right. is. And I want them to be grounded in the Word. And I can't think of a better place to, to go than than the Banner. But I want them to hear the history. Would you kind of give us a kind of a, sure. a an overview of, of, of the Banner of Truth? Sure. So... In the middle of the 1950s, uh, there was a young man, and I think he was 21, 22, I might have that, that year wrong, named Ian Murray, who was teaching a church history, like a midweek church history class at Westminster Chapel, which is where, as you know, Lloyd yep. Jones ministered for a number of decades. <clears throat> and while he was teaching there, uh, he, was, he was mentioning these men that he'd been reading, uh, like Robert Murray McShane and the Puritans and J.C. Ryle. And there were people in the class who were benefiting from the, the historical overview and, and really uh, in, interested in these men and their writings. And, and they were asking Ian, where do, you, where do you go to purchase these? We'd like to start reading some of them at home. And then he had to give them the sad response that, well, there's no place to purchase them because they're, <laughs> they're out of print. Like, Good luck. You go down to the, the Evangelical Library in London um, and find old, like, original copies but it was very expensive, nigh impossible, to get some of these books into your home. And not, not a lot of publishers that, of that day were willing to invest in them and produce them because they weren't, they weren't very popular. So it was about that time that another man by the name of Jack Cullum, and there's, there's other unsung heroes in this story that even I don't know, but the Lord knows, and that's all that matters, um, who were part of the beginning of Banner. But another big name is Jack Cullum, who was a a successful young businessman, and he had really been uh, impacted by some of the things that Ian was teaching. And so he wanted to help Ian begin a ministry that would start to republish and re-promote some of these forgotten works. And so it began as a monthly magazine, and it continues, Banner continues to publish a monthly magazine even today. We have 11 issues a year. Uh, there's a double issue in, I believe, uh, August and September. And so you can sign up. It's really, it's really an affordable, it's a $27 for a year, and you get, we mail them to you, and it really gives you a a, a, a glimpse of all the great resources that are available to you, you know, not just good biblical theology, but 
a lively spiritual devotional theology. Sometimes we refer to it as uh, experimental Calvinism. Mm. You know, it's stuff that like it's deep, and so you read deeply, and so it affects your mind. But it's it's uh, it's spiritual, so it affects your heart, and then it ultimately will re- lead to a changed life and changed action and service to God. So it affects your hands. So that's that that's the kind of book we like to publish, and and so it began in nineteen in the fifties uh, with the magazine, and then then became uh, became uh, a book production book publication ministry, and mostly it was reprinting. So a lot of it we have are historical biblical writings from the Puritans, um, a great movement of men in the Church of England in the 17th century to bring the Church of England uh, back to, or bring it maybe for the first time to, a biblical position in worship and sanctification and justification in, in all areas of life. But not just the Puritans, uh, the Scottish divines of the, of the 18th century and 19th century, men like Robert Martin McShane and Andrew Bonner and Thomas Chalmers and... Um, you know, earlier on, Samuel Rutherford, and then you, know, you can cross the Atlantic, and you've got men like Jonathan Edwards and you know, George Whitfield, who's from England, but who'd ministered a lot over here. Right. Um, and who's actually on our logo. You'll, you know, if you see the Banner Truth logo, you'll see George Whitfield in a little oval mm-hmm. with his finger to the air as he was preaching in a famous painting uh, that we kind of took our logo from. So, so yeah, it was started because there was a big need, and no one was, no one was really t- willing to take it on. But by God's grace, for 60-plus years we've been at this, and we started to see, and this is really, it shows you a change in the times, there's actually a demand for Puritan writings today. So when you you when you mention John Owen, people know who that is, yeah. or Char- Charles Spurgeon, and, and they want their books, they're, they're actually excited about their books, and you'll meet thousands and thousands of people who have read Owen books, and it just wasn't like that um, when the banner got stuck. Got, started and it wasn't just the banner there were other ministries that the lord raised up and obviously the the preaching ministry of martin lloyd jones and mm-hmm. you know people discovering charles spurgeon and reading lots of spurgeon and learning what he was reading and and the impact of his theologies and really has had a really serious impact on um on our current reformed resurgence so it's just mm-hmm. amazing and all the staff at banner would say we are we're humbled that we could have any part in this work going on now in uh, yeah. in, in the states, uh, but also abroad, where we find more and more believers coming to embrace doctrines of grace and kind wonderful. of grow into a deeper understanding of the scripture. That's so wonderful. I you know it's such an unlikely story, especially in the publishing world, because you know to start when they started it being so different than today where you say the demand is here, it is present, and it wasn't back then, you know, typically the publishing world today is, I mean, they're looking for the market, you know, and they're going for the market, what's going to sell, what's going to be hot, Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, how many Twitter followers and those sorts of things do people oh, have, sure, and, yeah. and those sorts Huge. of things, yeah. and it reminds me, I just finished on a, we went on a retreat, my wife and I, pastors and pastor's wives retreat, and sitting on the beach in Naples, Florida, and I tell you, it was a hard time down there, uh, really difficult on the beach, but... <laughs> Uh, but I finished uh, Ian Murray's Revival and Revivalism, and it had been on my list for years. And, brother, I, I could not tell, I cannot tell you how encouraging that book was. It was just remarkable. And yeah. it is so helpful in understanding our world today and evangelicalism today. But it yeah. actually reminds me of even the banner of truth. If this has been a really, God just had his hand, it seems like from afar, God's had his hand on the banner. And 
the growth of the ministry has just seemed to be pretty remarkable and, and just, you know, I mean, it's very unlikely, but God is in it. Yes. Yeah, it is very unlikely. Which is... I think you I think you bring up a good point. Um, and not all Christian publishing is the same. And like, once again, it's not, I'm not trying to say that Banner is the only one doing things right. We're not. There's other good, faithful Christian publishers. But there, if you work in publishing, you learn that there's a temptation among editors um, and guys in sales and marketing to really want to go after authors who are going to sell really well. Right. So, and we, and we could say like, oh yeah, that happens out in like, you know, that's evangelicalism. That's far away, like broader evangelicalism or, you know, that the prosperity gospel stuff that, that happens in their camps. But, but it can happen to us too. It's, it's just, and Banner has to be careful and we need people's prayers that we wouldn't fall into the same pattern that, hmm. you know, just because someone's speaking at a con- at, in a conference circuit and they've got a big following doesn't mean they're the right person to write a book. I mean, right. speaking and writing are two different things. And sometimes, sometimes you have a man who, or a woman who can do both, but generally, um, you find one or the other. Um, and I think if, if we're trying to publish, you know, Banner, Banner's trying to publish books that are going to last the test of time. Well, the popularity of a given pastor today really, you know, in 50, 60 years, he may not, you know, his popularity might be all, all but forgotten. Right. But will that writing still be helpful, you know? And insofar as the writing is faithful to Scripture, you know, is truthful to the passage, passages of Scripture that's dealing with, um, where, we, where we've seen the Lord's hand on a man and his ministry, where we see that he's, you know, living in communion with God and... and and knows God and can speak of God truthfully and with experience. And that's the kind of writing that we get excited about. Mm. You know, how many people follow that person on social media is neither here nor there. Right. Um, that's good. I mean, we can all gain bigger gatherings through, un, you know, unhelpful ways. Uh, and so I think, but it, but it is a temptation and, and it's one that we have to be careful. You know, are we willing to only publish the best? And that means that you're not necessarily publishing what's popular. Yeah. Often it, often it's going against that, um, and that's what Banner's tried to be committed to, and and so part of that is we know that, you know, Banner will always be kind of a, a quieter, smaller ministry that operates in the background. That's kind of what, what we want to do. We don't we don't want to be kind of the center of attention, um, or going after all the big name people who could write because, uh, I just think, I mean, some of these guys are fantastic writers, no doubt, but. We we really want to publish just for content's sake and not yeah. for influence sake. I love it. That's so good and so unique, yeah. and we need that. So thank you for your commitment to doing that as a as a ministry. Okay, so everybody go check out Banner of Truth. All these links and some of the books mentioned will be in the show notes. I want to Pat switch over real quick and ask a few questions about. Uh, being a pastor, you are an elder at a session, local session elder at a church, and I, I yeah. would love to, because most of my listeners are either younger in ministry, I have some you know, people who have been in ministry for 20, 30 years that are listeners, and um, we're on the process of growing and learning, and, and uh, the process oh, of saying... Oh, me same- too. Yeah, right? Okay, good, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. We're in the same boat then. But uh, a lot of younger guys as well that are kind of navigating a call into ministry, and I'd love to hear kind of the internal, external process for you of, you know, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, and yeah. there are not many things that are noble in this world that uh, 
that people are longing for, but to be God's man, to be called into the office of overseer, there has to be an appropriate aspiration for it. And you know, God calls it noble. There's it, it is a glorious thing. It's not the greatest calling, you know, to be a Christian and to be a husband and father is certainly even a. It's one of the uh, the the subtle disagreements I have with Lloyd Jones. Being a preacher is a great, great and high and holy calling. But yeah. uh, I'll be okay if I'm not one. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, but I'd love to hear about that internal call for you, that internal aspiration, where that when that began to the work of the overseer, and then what was the external process for you to becoming becoming a session elder at your church? Sure. Um, so yeah, in the PCA, we've got teaching elders and ruling elders. Right. Uh, and then we have the office of deacon as well, but we're basically a two-office denomination. Um, yeah, I think I think it has to begin with, with what you talked about with an, in the scripture, about an aspiration for a noble aspiration. Um, there has to be an internal call, so just because you have the gifts doesn't mean you should do it. I think you need to feel led, and I can't quantify all of that. And there are, there are some people in the Reformed camp who really don't kind of feel uncomfortable with that kind of language. They think right. that's a little too mystical. Yeah, you're but, charismatic if you if you have this strong internal call, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think that's true. I think... Right. You know, we're, we're given new hearts as believers. We're a new creation. We have new desires. So the Lord, where did those desires come from? They didn't come from the natural man. Yeah. The Lord gave them to us. So I think that if the Lord gives you a desire to want to serve the church, I think that's where it has to begin. But uh, this would be normal in Presbyterianism. I'm sure it's normal in a lot of Reformed Baptist churches, too, that, you know, the internal call is not all that's important. You need to have other men who will, can, like, ratify that call through an external call. So the internal call or the desire for the noble thing is, is needed to serve in the church. But then the external call is are other, other men who in the, on the session or other, you know, families in your church who, who recognize your giftedness and who have been encouraged by your example that you set as you tried to imitate Christ. And they think this, you know, this man, this young man, looks like he has the abilities. I think that's that's probably more underestimated in our age. I think everyone gets that yeah, you, you need to have a call to do it. Right. You know, back in uh you know the nineteenth century before the Great Awakening, um oh pardon me, the eighteenth century, you know, there were men in the Church of England who it was just a it was just a job really. They were good orators, they they, they were good with languages and so um, I don't know if you've read uh, Faith Cook's biography of William Grimshaw, but I really recommend it. Okay. He was such a man who was in the ministry, but he was not converted. And so it was just a profession. So, um, you know, that I guess other people thought he could do it, and, and, he, and he thought, yeah, I could do it, but there was no real call as a ministry in service to God, a belief in what's going on. So there has to be that that internal desire and that that. that desire for it, but you need other people to ratify it. Yeah, and I think good. sometimes we've got lots of guys who are signing up for seminary and saying, yep, yeah, I'm called to ministry, and off they run to seminary, but there's maybe no one in their local church who's thought for a minute, oh yeah, that guy would be a good pastor or elder. And so I think if you're a young man and you're, and you're feeling a sense of call, I would go to my session, if you're or your elders or your pastor, and tell them I'm feeling a sense of call. Do, do you think, do you see any of these gifts in me? Do you think yeah. I could do you think this would be a worthy pursuit? Because I don't, I don't think we want to just be rogue 
rogue uh, seminary students with no accountability. No, no church has really said, yeah, you should go. So it'd be normal, it would be normal in a Presbyterian uh, church for a guy to feel a call mm-hmm. to come under care of, of his presbytery or his other, other you know, local connection of different Presbyterian churches in his denomination, where they would kind of examine a guy a little bit or take, them, take him under care and then encourage him to go on to seminary. And then as he's finishing seminary, they then, you know, they would test and, and approve him for um, if he could be called to the ministry yeah. by a local church. So I think I think we need both. We want that internal, but you also need to have, be having other guys ratify it. That's good. You know, I, so I'm Baptist. Our church is a confessional Baptist church. And the process to ordination for me was so unique. It was wild. Ten years or eleven, see, I guess about eleven years ago now. Baptists don't have that process in the same way that Presbyterians do. And I just called a pastor buddy of mine and I said, "Hey, I, I need to be ordained." Somebody asked me to do a wedding and officiate their wedding, and so we just put together ordination. There was no ordination council. There was no yeah. asking questions, and we just our church elders. We had we had kind of accidentally planted a church and. And so I, I really do, even though there was some of the recognition, I, looking back, it would have been more helpful for me as a younger man to get some of that, uh, some of that counsel from local church elders in a slower process into ordination than, than I actually received. But I, uh, I, I agree completely. I think there, there has to be both of those there, that internal and external, yeah. and I think you, you really laid that out in a really healthy way. Uh, let me ask you this. We have some, some guys that also are lay elders like yourself that— mm-hmm are not full-time, they're not that, that teaching elder um, mm-hmm. doing the primary bulk bulk work of, of preaching week in and week out. Yeah. Um, what does it look like for you? You have, you have a full-time job, you have heavy responsibilities. I can imagine that that is a high-capacity yeah. role. Yeah. you got to travel. But then you're also this lay elder with these responsibilities before God and before yeah. your members well, that are before you. What's that look like? What's that balance? And you have, I mean, a, even a greater responsibility of being a, you know, being a being a husband and and yep. you know and father. How many yep. kids did you say you had? We have four. You have four. So husband and father. Yeah. So how do you how do you uh, do this and keep the proper order of family? Oh. You know, work, church, uh, church. Or, yeah. I mean, have you yeah. figured this? You got a calendar. I mean, how do you how do you oh, how I, do you I do this? First one to say I don't have it figured out. Okay. Um, I probably need to read that book. Uh, yeah. Because those are questions I have. <laughs> Can we get someone else on the show? Yeah. Um, I <laughs> would call say, somebody in now, you know, conference yeah, call. Yeah, call someone in. Um, it's hard. Uh, it's really hard. Um, you know, you, you do. You definitely don't have the regular responsibility of a, of a pastor who's got a, you know, he's, he's in the word preparing for, for sermons, maybe a morning and an evening sermon that week. And, you know, that that responsibility is not on my shoulders i, I you know and i don't regularly preach okay. um, i think baptist elders seem to preach more but i'm just that's i'm just shooting on the off the hip for that um but i would say it's it's really difficult because there's still the the weight you feel the weight of responsibility for people's souls um to nurture them to meet with them to mm-hmm. if there's if there's any disunity or doctrinal issues in the congregation, you you feel that weight of responsibility to meet with people, and um, so that can weigh on me a lot. And uh, our congregation, our our session breaks up our congregation into um, 
flock shepherd. We have like a flock shepherding model, so we bring okay. them into different flocks. So yeah. I've got 12 families in my flock, and so I focus primarily on those 12 families. Okay. Try to meet with them at least once a year in their home and open the word with them, sit down in their home, see where they're at. Uh, we the, the theme of this year in our, in our pastoral visitation is worship, so we're giving out a worship booklet by J.C. Ryle. Mm. We're talking a little bit about regular principle and worship and you know, how are they profiting from the sermons and, are, and what are the struggles they might have and uh, how are, how's their daily Bible reading. So, you know, trying to schedule that in. Uh, I know I have 12 families, so one, one a month is, is, is seems really quite doable, but, yeah. but life is busy and it can be hard. And then you know, you we've got session meetings once a month and then we have session retreats every, like twice a year. And, um, you know, I, this, uh, this past Saturday, I had a, a session retreat, and you know my kids were were pretty bummed that Dad was gone again yeah, to serve the tough. church. And so, that's something that is really on my heart that I would would not neglect my responsibility as a husband or a father, hmm. and show my and not and, and I don't want my kids to grow up with a you know somewhat of a frustration that the, you know all the church did was take my dad away. Yeah. I think probably a lot of pastors and elders would resonate with that. Mm-hmm. And so, so I went to the session retreat for the first part of the day. And when I came home, I had because I also, you know, got to maintain the house and I got grass to cut. But we just went to the park. We just got away from the house and spent the rest of the day with the kids, my wife and I. Good. And then my wife and I would hang out at night at, on that Saturday because I because I recognize I've been away. I'm trying to serve the church, but I need to I need to really put in the time with my family. So I'll say this: I think it's really hard. Yeah. But at the same time, I think. Because some people said to me, because I'm a fairly young elder too, and and I, I, I mean, I had aspirations for eldership, but because of that external call, I would never put myself forward. Say, here, here I am, you know, take me as an elder. Mm-hmm. It was only after the prodding of several families over a couple of years, and then the session saying, yes, we want you to go through with this, that I would dare take on the responsibility. Because I think we, I think we need to be humble enough to say, even if I want to do something. Unless other people are really pushing me, I shouldn't do it because mm. just because I want it, what does that mean? Like that's yeah. the, what's one part of the call that you need the external call. Um, so good. But yeah, I, I will say it's difficult. Oh yeah, here's the thing I was going to say. As I looked at my life and I considered taking on this responsibility, and people were like, "Where are you going to find time for this?" My thought was, "Look, I can get rid of like church softball, and I can get rid of yeah. this hobby or that hobby." Because sir, I, I feel like serving the church is so much more important than those other things. We, we want to have well-rounded lives and still be active and, and still have some downtime. Like, I, I agree with that. But there are other... I think what happens in our lives is we will fill them up with the things that we want to do. Yeah. For me, it was a question of what do I want to do? Um, and I want to serve the church. I want to help the church. I want to, I want to I lead where I feel like a lot of other guys are just not willing to plug in and, and give the time commitment. I didn't want to... A pull back from that, um, and so I, I thought, Lord, help me to die to self, put a, yeah. put a, put behind me a couple distractions so that I could free up the time to serve as an elder. And I'm thankful I've done it. I've been serving now for about a year and a half, and it, but it, there's there's dark days where I think, what have I done? You know, I've taken on <laughs> oh too no! Much. Like, yeah. Lord, help me. Um, but the Lord's good, and I mean, good. this morning I went out with a member of a congregation for breakfast, so that was my elders meeting with him. You know, I try to make things work. Um, sometimes I'm in people's homes, sometimes we're out for breakfast. Uh, 
and but it's hard. And yeah. I'm only going to get through it with the Lord's help, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know, something that's so helpful for me is some of the, the biggest amount of time that we spend as elders, and I'm fortunate to have two other elders at our church, and we have a couple other elders right now that are being raised up, and we've got a new one that's going to be coming on and doing a two-year process for us, and then eventually affirmed here in a couple of years as an elder by via congregational vote. But one of the things that I encourage our guys with is that, you know, the epicenter of evangelism, if you have younger children in your home, is not first your community, but it's your home. I mean, your your ministry flows from that. And then the epicenter of discipleship in the life of a pastor, before it's other members of the congregation, it is our children. And it seems almost intangible, but in thinking about the demand of pastoral ministry, we we do have to see that our family members, although they are our family members, they're also church members when they become Christians. And so we do spend a massive amount of time with the church as we invest in our families. And that, that for me, has been a helpful way to help navigate the question, how am I going to have time for this with, with some of our elders? But I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I've got this framework for me of, of these five callings that I walk in and seven pastoral priorities that kind of give me bearings and handles to just answer the question, what should, who am I and what should I be doing? And still yet, even with definitions, even with you know, a, a planner, it gets messy. You know, oh, sure. it just gets messy and it's kind of how the Lord is. And he, he sustains us through a mess and, and kind of, we get curveballs that we don't expect and trust yeah. him along the way. And so I'm with you. Just kind of, kind of learn that one more question for you. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you get to spend a lot of time with pastors or at least seeing them, mm-hmm. talking with them, quick conversations at conferences, you and I. Um, have had a few conversations that I remember, two or three, I think, at For the Church, and I maybe yep. bumped into you at the Gospel Coalition a few years back. Or, um, But what is the key to long-term faithfulness? And I kind of qualify. I know one pastor at this point who has met this qualification, and I have my eye locally on another pastor who's about to meet this qualification. This is anecdotal, but I think it's true and a lot of different places, that if a pastor gets to formal retirement age, still loving Jesus, um, confident that he is loved by Jesus, his wife still likes him, okay, his kids respect him, maybe they're not all Christians, but they still respect him, and then they're still disciple makers, they're still pouring into younger people and older people, they're still making disciples, meeting with people, those kind of, that four criteria, I know one, and then a fifth would be no hidden moral failure, that if there has been a moral failure, it's been confessed, and they have walked through a restoration process. But kind of these four or five markers of, of kind of finishing well, if I can get to, I'm 35 now, if I can get to formal retirement age and know I'm loved by Jesus, still in love with him, my wife and I have a great relationship still, my kids yeah. respect yeah. me, there's been no moral failure, and I'm still making disciples, I'd say, I'd throw my hands in the air and say, yes, praise Jesus, thank you. Yeah. Regardless of statistics, regardless of how large the church is, what is the key to long-term faithfulness and, and not burning out in life and yeah. pastoral ministry? What do you think? Well, that's a big question, and, and I'm certainly not qualified to to give the authorita- authoritative answer. I think, you know, I'm a young elder, and, and you know, I, I need help remembering the key or finding the key. And so I think, you know, I, I do feel a certain... Uh, lack of qualification to give the real depth that 
maybe a senior minister could give who who's walked through it for so long. But mm. I will say, um, in in the lives of the older ministers that I know, I think they the first love has always been Christ, mm. and whatever came into their lives uh, in terms of distractions, responsibilities, opportunities, they maintained that communion with him. And so through regular prayer, Bible reading, walking with the Lord, quick repentance, you know, maintaining that communion and not and not allowing their consciences to be seared by a lack of repentance and a lack of familiar, familiarity or regular time in the Word, that seems to be their testimony. Um, and so that's something that I'm you know, I'm, I'm not perfectly doing myself, but I need to be, and I need the Lord's help to be more regularly in the Word and not forgetting my first love. Mm. Uh, that That's one, I think, is, I mean, that's probably the central thing, yeah. the regular daily communion with God. Love it. Because uh, I think that, reor, you know, reorientates our lives and, and, rem- and reminds us who we are as little creatures and who God is as a great creator. And I think sometimes, especially men, we, if we're left to ourselves for a bit, we start to forget that distinction, mm. and we start to think we're pretty great, and you know, we're pretty able, and that's usually the, the soil where Satan seems to have the most, uh, his roots kind of go deepest in, and so we need help to avoid that. The other thing I've seen uh, is to avoiding ego boosters. Um, people... Sometimes Christians can be so well-meaning when they speak to pastors, but they can really inflate an ego in a very unhelpful way. Yeah, and I've good. seen that. Like, yep. I go to conferences, and there's all these great speakers and really gifted men, and then you kind of watch people ooh and awe over them in a really unhelpful way. And I think to myself, does that do that man any good? Hmm. Does that actually help him spiritually for you to speak to him in that way? I had a dear friend of mine really close friend of mine um and he and we when we first met i I listened to him talk to a speaker and i kind of took him aside and said you really shouldn't you really shouldn't like talk like that yeah (laughs) like, what do you mean and and he was kind of taken aback and Uh and i had someone do this to me and so this is this is how i learned (laughs) but they were just uh talking about how great the man is oh he's so gifted and oh wow i read everything you do and i thought uh that's really just inflating his ego and i don't Mm. I appreciate what I've heard some older saints say something like, "You were, you know, to a preacher after he preached a good sermon, um, you know, you were greatly helped today." Saint, oh, I like meaning that. that. That the is Holy really Spirit good. Greatly helped you in your preaching today, so that all glory goes to God. You know, when a when a preacher fails miserably, yes, it's his responsibility. But when when the when the sermon has power and efficacy it's from the mm. spirit the lord's it's the lord's doing oh it's good and i think we i think pastors sometimes have people who gather around them and who tell them they're pretty great and i think that can inflate an ego that over time can really have negative effects on their ministry um, um i think it's samuel miller in his book on the eldership he talks about people so he says there's and he's writing to elders or pastors he says there's people in your churches who will come beside you will tell you that you're the bee's knees. You know, he doesn't say it like that, but he, you know, <laughs> basically tell you you're the greatest. And, yeah. and, I, and I was like, oh yeah, like I, I, can, I can see that. And that his words, his next words really shocked me. And he said, have nothing to do with those people. Wow. Like avoid them, like the plague. 
And I thought, oh, those are really strong words. I thought he was going to say something like, you know, tell them, encourage them not to do that. But he says, avoid them. Hmm. And I thought, wow, he, he really took it seriously, the, the danger that uh, even well-meaning comments that puff up an ego. Um, yeah. that, so I, that, think, I think avoiding that, that is will so, be helpful long-term. That is, so, that is so helpful, both of those things. Communion with Christ and avoiding, you know, ego boosters. Well, even well-meaning people, it is yeah. it is a very hard thing to receive encouragement and even give encouragement in the right way. And I love yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's hard. It is. I get it. Yeah, it is. And you you know you 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 can have an authentic. You know, I'm getting ready to preach Romans one, and verse eight. This is sermon three. And first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And one of my points in the sermon is that look at how Paul was thankful for the church at Rome, through Jesus Christ. I mean, there's this way about giving encouragement and thanksgiving that still is is not a forced, but it's still connecting that to Jesus in some way. And um, But it is, a, it is a gift to be able to give and receive encouragement, no doubt. Well, Pat, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so thankful that you jumped on here with me today. Is there anything, like, is there anything we can plug? I wrote down all these books. When we get off here in just a second, I'm going to make sure I get those right. So... I can put them in the show notes, but is any plug banner of truth or you guys got a, you said the magazine earlier, uh, where should people to go to find out more information about the banner? Sure. Thanks for that opportunity. Yeah. I'd encourage you guys to go to bannertruth.org and if you want to learn more about us there, that's probably the best place to do it. You can go, if you go to the about section of our website, there's a short 15 minute documentary where a number of our trustees have been interviewed and, and Ian Murray himself, I've talked about Ian a little bit early on as one of the founders of the banner where they talk about it in, in our emphases and what we're trying to do. That's a great place to get a, a quick introduction to Banner. If you look on our website, we've got a, a pretty easy-to-navigate website, and you can search for different books on justification, suffering, uh, sanctification, all sorts of different issues. Look into that. Uh, if you're in the ministry or you're training to be in the ministry, I'd encourage you to look into our pastor's conferences. In the U.S., we have one that meets in, in about a month, actually, end of May, up in Pennsylvania, and then we've got, uh, for the first time in a long time, we're going back to the West Coast, and we have got a conference uh, just outside of Los Angeles in October, October 15th to 17th. So we'd love to see you at a banner conference. If you come to a banner conference, we've got really special discounts on our books. I, you know, I'll be at all of them. I'd love to get to meet you. And a number of our trustees come over, and we try to pick men, kind of like our books, that aren't necessarily well-known, but are faithful ministers uh, who can who can preach the word faithfully so we'd love to get to meet you at a conference so that's probably the best place go online and think about maybe coming to a conference or pick up a, a banner book that's what i'd say awesome well thanks a ton for coming on the show everybody i hope you enjoyed it and until uh, next time this is jared have a great day thank you for listening for more information please visit the shepherdscrook.co for care and counsel please call text or email to set up a session You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.